Farm Talk on C103 with Dairy Gold Prime Elite Roomy Force Calf Cube. Maximize calf performance and health at grass by optimizing the function of the rumen. Welcome to the Dairy Gold Farm Talk program with John O'Connor. Later in the program, record value for beef exports so far in 2023, despite farmer anger at lower factory prices. Market specialist Mr. Fellam O'Neill reports for the Irish Farmers Journal. Dairy Gold, our sponsor, confirms September milk price. Mr. Portugal Leary, Forestry Development Officer, Charles Coder McCroom, Minister of State at the Department of Agriculture, Food and the Marine. Mr. Martin Hayden has details of an important conference upcoming, plus comment on existential challenges facing the Irish horticulture sector, plus some other issues in our programme, like ploughing and the very important fortnightly macro report from the Carberry region with Laura Woods. But the first complete story in our programme this week, Dairy Gold has maintained the September quoted milk price at 33.5 cents per litre, based on standard constituents of 3.3% protein and 3.6% butterfat, inclusive of sustainability and quality bonuses and VAT. The September milk price equates to an average September farm gauge milk price of 41.4 cents per litre, based on average September milk solids achieved by Dairy Gold milk suppliers. The quoted milk price for September, based on EU standard constituents of 3.4% protein and 4.2% butterfat, is 36.6 cents per litre. A Dairy Gold company spokesperson commented that, quote, Dairy Gold milk markets have started to stabilise in recent weeks, and there are indications that this trend will continue as we head towards the end of the year. The spokesperson went on to say that the Dairy Gold Board will continue to closely monitor markets and review milk price on a month-by-month basis. Next in our programme, ploughing. Joining us on the Dairy Gold Farm Talk programme, Mr Philip Cotter, PRO for the Cork East Ploughing Association. Philip, welcome to the programme. Now you have details of recent ploughing matches... That's right, John. Um, last Sunday, the 15th, we had our um, fourth match of the qualifying round for Cork East at Bantier, uh, and on the lens of uh, Conor Healy Rossicon. And we had a lovely sight and a lovely day and a fine turnout. And these are the results from Bantier. Senior Open, first, Joe Tomey, a joint second between Dave Mulcahy and Michael Hannon, and fourth, Ono Sullivan. Under 21, First, Billy O'Connell. Second, Billy Moroni. The Farmer Race. First, Orla Hayes. The three for a match. Plough. First, Matthew Coakley. And second, Pat O'Riordan. The Vintage. Two for a Hydraulic. First, Tom Bozang. Second, Phelan Cather. And third, Henry McGrath. And the Vintage Single for a. First, Trevor Fleming. The Classic Class. First, Damien Ahern. And the Horse Class. First, Jeremiah Delaney. Those are the results from Bantier on last Sunday. And tomorrow, our roads lead to Watergrass Hill, Ballinaltic, Watergrass Hill, on the lands of the Hurley family, by their kind permission. Now, again, we'll be hoping to get started, John, at 11 a.m. sharp, if at all possible. Anybody interested in ploughing in this competition would please give their names to Jim Barris at 0857. 
up to 5 p.m. this evening. That's 085-777-3257, and it's time up to 5 p.m. this evening. And we're hoping to start tomorrow at 11 a.m. sharp. Now, this will be signposted from Wathenrash Hill on the Ratkarmuk, and it will also be signposted from the Ratkarmuk side towards Wathenrash Hill. It's just after that road, Ballinaltig. So, and there'll be refreshments in the field. So hopefully we'll have weather as good as we had last Sunday, John, and uh, all classes will be catered for. So, Wathenrash Hill, tomorrow, October the 22nd. Thank you very much. And thank you very much indeed, Mr. Philip Cotter, a PRO for the Cork East Ploughing Association. Thank you, Philip. Thanks, Sean. Next, our fortnightly Mockburn Affirma report from the Carberry region with local reporter Laura Woods. Hello, my name is Laura and I am bringing you the Carberry Mockra news. This past fortnight has been a busy one for Carberry Mockra. Beef and sheep stock judging took place in Clonakilty Agricultural College in the beef stock judging, Owen Lynch of Bantry took the title with Katie Shannon of Kilmeen and Barry Welch of Banlasgarty taking second and third place respectively. In the sheep stock judging, Michal Cullinan of Kilmeen took the title with Matthew Sexton of Barry Rowe and Oshin Daly of Cora coming second and third respectively. We are looking for people to take part in the welding competition which will be held on Thursday evening, 2nd of November in Conakilty Agricultural College. Message us to sign up. Members of Kilmeen Mockra, who won the men's All-Ireland football title last year, recently enjoyed a weekend away to the Aran Islands. This trip was compliments of Mockra for all national title winners around the country. Bantry Mockra member Fiona O'Leary travelled to Alicante to attend the EU Youth Conference on Inclusive Societies representing Mockra. And on the October Bank Holiday weekend, all roads will lead to Banlaslow for the National Mockra Conference, better known as the Rally. It is a three-day event where members can enjoy talks and tours, Club of the Year and Best New Member competition, as well as three nights of live entertainment and fun with members from all over the country. So as you can see, Carberry Mocker has something for everyone and we are always looking for new members. We have clubs located from Inishannon to Beira, so if you are between the ages of 17 and 35 and would like to join or know someone who does, have any questions or would like some more information, please contact us through our social media pages on Facebook and Instagram. Thank you. Joining us on the Dairy Gold uh, Farm Talk programme, we have Mr. Fellam O'Neill, International Market Specialist with the Irish Farmers Journal. Great news in this week's Irish Farmers Journal, Fellam. So, record value for Irish beef exports so far in 2023. What's the basis for that optimism and the optimistic uh, headline? Hello, John. Good to be back again. Uh, yeah, it is uh, very good news uh, from a beef exports point of view and the value to the economy. Uh, I know farmers, maybe the price that they've been receiving over recent weeks might take a slightly different view on that. But look, the, the reality is, John, uh, our exports, they're up to the UK this year, up to 49%. That's the highest it's been in five years. Uh, 151,950 tonnes went there between January and August. Uh, now, that makes it our most important. It's always been our most important market. It's become an even more important uh, with the passage of time, not less. And we have thought maybe with Brexit that there'd be less Irish beef going to the UK, but in fact, there's more. And the reason for that is very simply, you know, if you look at the prices that have been paid, the farm gate prices that have been paid, and compare the price that's been paid in Britain with the price that's paid in Ireland, you're looking at a euro a kilo of difference. So basically, uh, British meat buyers, British buyers of beef, shall we say, 
uh, find that they can get real value in Ireland. They're getting a product that's more or less the same as what they produce on their own farms, uh, and they're getting it for uh, a euro a kilo less. So I suppose there's a there's a very that's what makes Irish beef so attractive in the British market at this minute in time. And that's great news to hear because the older markets, the established markets, which we felt might be destroyed or damaged by the Brexit arrangements, it's great to see we can say that the United Kingdom, including Northern Ireland. Uh, politically, is driving the beef export market because in your double-page spread in the journal, you point out American exports have collapsed and the Chinese market, despite all the optimistic noises, has disappointed. So Uh it's good to see that, despite Brexit, we have some firm ground with our near neighbours, the UK. Absolutely, John, that is good news. Um, the, the American bit's very disappointing. We're just sending uh, 10% of the beef there that we had uh, two years ago, uh, just 500 tonne in the first eight months of this year, compared to over 5,000 tonne then. Uh, the reason for this, well, look, it has been a slow market to develop anyway, but look, the bottom line is uh, the quota that Ireland has access to for zero tariffs going in on Irish imports to the U.S., uh, that has all been used up by Brazil. So uh, we never we never can quite shake Brazilian beef off, can we? Um, and the reality is now any Irish beef going in has to pay a tariff 26.4%. And that just, uh, despite the high price of American cattle at the moment, uh, that just means that Irish beef isn't competitive in that market and certainly not competitive relative to what they can get in the UK. So uh, that's disappointed there. You mentioned China there as well, John. Uh, we got uh, good news there at the start of the year when it was announced that we could restart business with them. Remember, we were suspended because of the foot-and-mouth case back in May 2000, uh, May 2021. And uh, that recommenced the start of the year. But look, it's been very slow to develop. Um, it's, it's moving progress. We've sent more beef there than we have to the US. But look, the bottom line is it's a very competitive market now. Australia has up their production this year. Brazil, our old friends, are sending in more beef than ever to China. Uh, and it is a very, very competitive market now, much more so perhaps than it was back uh, prior to when we uh, were suspended from exporting because of that foot-and-mouth case. So when you when you strip it all out, John, the, um, we talk about far away fields looking green. We had great hopes for what we would do in China. We had great hopes for what we would do in the U.S. Uh, and indeed in other Asian markets uh, as well. Japan comes to mind. But look, the reality is when all said and done, uh, the U.K. market on our doorstep has been the one that has delivered for Irish beef exports so far this year. And that is tremendous, despite Brexit. We keep coming back to Brexit because we did think Brexit would totally upset the traditional arrangements we had with the UK, but in 2021. So overall, a great uh, story indeed. There's something from the past, which I know we've been trying to get together with Northern Ireland for the island of Ireland, North and South uh, combined, the grass-fed, the beef grass-fed categorisation status. yes. That's right, that PGI that we have talked about before. And my goodness, it always seems to be just around the corner, doesn't it? And, and that's the same answer again today. Um, we uh, understand that it's in the final stages of approval now in Brussels. Uh, what benefit will be to us? I'm not quite sure. But look, we'll be better off with it than without it. And, uh, you know, that's one to watch out for. We would expect... Uh, if you like, um, the green light for that to come sometime in the next few weeks. I would certainly be hoping uh, sometime before the end of this year. Very surprised that we don't see that. So uh, that's one to watch out for, John. Certainly, fellow. Hoping for the best. Thank you very much indeed for your valuable time, Mr. Fellow O'Neill, International Market Specialist with the Irish Farmers Journal. Thank you very much indeed, fellow. Thanks a million. Thank you, John. It's a pleasure as always. 
Joining us on the farm programme, Mr. Porik O'Leary, Forestry Development Officer, Chagask, Coldrum McCroom in County Cork. First of all, Porik, welcome to the programme. Before we begin our main topic uh, on forestry, are there any forthcoming events which you feel our farmers, our listeners, or forestry people might be interested in going to? Thanks for having me, John. Uh, I suppose coming up uh, in the next month, there is uh, Agroforestry Forum. It's an independent agroforestry forum coming up in uh, the 16th and 17th of um, November in the West Lodge Hotel in Bantry. And that'll be going over in detail with experts of agroforestry and what agroforestry can do for you on your farm. So it's on the 16th and 17th of uh, November and it's in the West Lodge Hotel in Bantry. And you do have to register and there is a charge to register. Uh, I'm not exactly sure what the price is. But um, it, it can be very viable if, if you're seriously considering agroforestry in your farm. And uh, that's a great example of where people can go, but they must register at the details you've given there. Now, Porig, the new forestry programme, we hear a lot about the, the new afforestation programme. How is this different um, in any way from the previous afforestation programme farmers have been familiar with? To put it in a nutshell, there's more money going for, for all the different types of forest types. There's a couple of new forest types that weren't in the old uh, uh, forestry programme. And you can see a lot more in, in some of the forest types that there is a real drive for biodiversity and native woodlands uh, within the programme. What are the new rates? Uh, especially within the native broadleaves, forest type one, which is the development of a native woodland, that can be established under a grant, which will be co- completely covered under grant uh, under the establishment grant. And then there could be a premium then for one hectare, per hectare of €1,103 per hectare per year for 15 or 20 years, depending if you qualify as a, as a farmer or not. So 15 for a non-farmer and 20 years for a, a farmer. Well, that sounds interesting indeed. For someone listening, what's the very first step? To make it very simple and direct and encouraging for people, what are the first steps to take? Definitely the first step you can, you can take to um, to inquire about forestry would definitely be contact your local tag advisor, whether it be me or one of my advisory colleagues, um, and to consider what what forest type and will best suit your your farm enterprise and will best suit your uh, your own needs and and of course the the land type and the soil type of of your, of your land you were saying that this is, is something well worth thinking about in the ever changing world of farming and market demand diversify your your farm income and in in some cases Optimise payments coming in, whether it be relative to other scheme, other agricultural schemes, uh, and optimising them within within uh, your forestry and your farm enterprise. Uh, but of course, saying that that there can be ways to, to optimise within those schemes, there are of course challenges that could face uh, across from other schemes, um, which have to be considered before um, before committing to forestry as. Um, we always like to make it clear forestry is a permanent land use change and uh, it is a big commitment to planting forestry. And um, uh, once the once the land is planted, it is essentially a, a, a permanent land use change. Very important, very fair to mention that. It's a commitment for all time. You can't 
put forestry there for a while and then dig it up and go back. Once you've exactly. grown the trees, it's a long-term commitment. Once you go into forestry, you can't switch back to some other kind of agriculture. Now, from time to time, we advertise um, information meetings and we invite our listeners to go along to Chagas organised meetings. Could you mention, if you can recall them, could you mention one or two well-attended information meetings held recently and some of the topics? On Wednesday the 18th, I had um, uh, an information meeting in Killarney Chagas office and there was almost 80 people attending at the, at the, the event, which was, uh, much, which was very high and we ran out of chairs and we were stuffed in a small bit. But um, no, it was very positive to see that there was a lot of people that were very pro-forestry and eager to plant. Um, and we, we were, again, we were advising them that it's a, it's a big, big uh, commitment and to make sure every, every aspect of the farm enterprise or, or land solution type is, is considered before uh, committing to planting forestry. Ash dieback is something that's been in the news for a number of years. What is the current situation with ash dieback? Well, the Minister of State, Senator Pippa Hackett, um, she commissioned an independent review into the ash dieback support schemes. Um, and this review came back a number of weeks ago and it provided advice to the Minister on how best to go forward on the progression with the ash. So the review group met with stakeholders and forest owners that were affected by ash dieback and they came back with a, a, a range of, of recommendations so the recommendations on the, re- the review that were given to the Minister would be such as uh, a rapid and coordinated response into the current state of, of ash dieback forestry as it's becoming a concerning uh, uh, environmental issue and even a safety hazard in some cases, to provide a safe and comprehensive um, clearance and re-establishment of, of the affected sites and to use this as, um, as a learning curve uh, for any future diseases which may occur in the future and to, to really be vigilant on, on any future threats that may come into Ireland and into Irish forestry. From time to time you hear forestry people very concerned about the um, thing which might come from uh, Scotland, the spruce bark beetle they've been calling on the Minister to set up a task force as a matter of uh, urgency. But coming back to ash dieback, the tragedy of ash dieback, is Chagask doing anything? Because a lot of people feel Chagask is, in fact, very active. You hear that Chagask are trying to breed some kind of ash dieback-resistant uh, plant. But how is Chagask addressing this issue of ash dieback porig? As you mentioned, there is some research um, in some ash trees around the country that are showing natural tolerance. So they're showing some sim- minor symptoms of the disease, but no major disease such as the majority of... Um, of ash in the country. So it's estimated that uh, roughly around 5% of ash trees in the country will show some, some amount of tolerance to the, the disease. So we're working on collecting these tolerant trees and building a gene bank from these tolerant trees and try to develop tolerant trees and that, that will be able to grow immune to this disease and, um, and we'll be able to re-establish the ash trees in, of course, our, our forests and our hedgerows around Ireland. Well, that's great news. Very reassuring indeed to Porig. Speaking to Porig O'Leary, Forestry Development Officer, Chagas, Kodra McCroom. For people who have ash on their property, it might be healthy ash or it might be ash dieback uh, victim, but what would Chagask advice be to landowners with ash trees on their property? Um, I suppose generally at the moment, as I mentioned, there is a certain um, uh, 
health and safety risk around them. So if the, if the ash tree has been planted for a number of years, they may be planted very close to the road. So it, it would be very important to ensure that any trees uh, close to the road uh, may be removed in case of a in case of a tree falling or uh, as the disease progresses, they can get very brittle. So uh, the tree may fall or branches may fall onto the road, which may uh, cause some concern for uh, safety. Um, I suppose equally, when um, uh, when you consider ash trees within hedgerows, um, they might. Uh, <clears throat> so when you consider ash trees within hedgerows uh, that are situated close to the road, again, it is very important that uh, it's on the the, the landowner to uh, ensure that the, these trees are safe, um, and that's under the the Roads Act of 1993 that they, you are obligated to um, ensure that these roadside structures, so, so ash trees, are safe um, on your land. What advice would Chagas have for forest owners at this time of the year, Porig? Well, um, during the autumn anyway, it, it's a great time to, to get in touch uh, and get an understanding of what needs to be done within your forest. So that would be so checking stocking density and uh, if there's need to be a replanting, if it's a young uh, forest. Um, also, to check your draining systems, check fire breaks, and to check fence lines, make sure no damage or blockages have come in um, anywhere along there. And coming into the winter, then that's when you replace any of the dead trees that you might have seen during your check in the autumn. And then you can also take some different samples and carry out some forms of shaping on broadleaf trees. And also, uh, it's also a great time to look at um, insurance requirements and to make sure uh, you are qualifying up to your um, your needs as uh, establishment proceeds and your afforestation um, requirements are being met. If people want to talk to you or inquire, is it okay if they try to contact you? And if so, where can you be contacted? Uh, of course, yeah, I, I'm, I'm uh, delighted to take calls of any anything to do with trees or forestry. So my own phone number is 087-184-0957. That's 087-184-0957. And I can also be emailed, which is poric.olary at chagas.ie. And that's spelled P-A-D-R-A-I-C dot O-L-E-A-R-Y at chagas.ie. Lots of people find the Chagas Forestry e-newsletter very useful. The Chagas Forestry e-newsletter on their computer. You can sign up through our website, so that would be www.chagas.ie forward slash forestry, and you can sign up straight through there. And I could also, if you also want to get in contact with me, I could sign you up through um, myself as well. But I suppose the essential is go to www.chagas.ie forward slash forestry, and there you'll find a range of information dealing with, uh, uh, dealing with management, establishment, and harvesting through the whole forestry life sector. And, of course, there's also information on managing ash dieback and how you can go around that. So on the website, a lot of information to be found, and you can sign up for news that are through that as well. That's great. Thank you very much indeed, Mr. Porrick O'Leary, Forestry Development Officer, Chagas Coldrum McCroom in the west of the country. Thank you, Porrick, very much indeed. Thanks a million. Thank you. Speaking at the Joint Directors Commission on Agriculture, Food and the Marine on the challenges of the Irish fruit and vegetable sector with a focus on food waste, IFA President Tim Cullinan said it's vital that fairness would be restored to the Irish horticulture sector in order for fruit and vegetable growers in Ireland to survive. 
The IFA president said the importance of underpinning our domestic horticulture producers has never been as important as following recent shortages of certain products and the increasing emphasis on food security. Mr. Cunnan said that many crops can be grown and produced almost 10 months of the year in Ireland, but only if retailers pay the cost of local sustainable production. Better supports are needed for Irish vegetable growers to avoid any more from exiting the sector and leaving the nation even more dependent on imports. Minister of State at the Department of Agriculture, Food and the Marine, Minister Martin Hayden, said he understands the need for support for the Irish horticulture sector. But Minister Martin Hayden points out we should always remember how much we rely on our exports to other countries and not be just anti-importing principle. But on balance, Minister Hayden recognises challenges facing the Irish horticulture sector, not least food waste and the need to grow more of what we eat. Um, I, I don't fall into the trap of the debate saying to be sustainable we need to produce everything that we consume needs to be produced in Ireland. Uh, food supply chains have become much more different now. They're uh, much more integrated um, and you know the food should be produced where it's uh, produced the most sustainably because if you consider that we export 90% of the beef uh, and dairy produce that we can produce on this island, um, you know, we have a strong argument for saying that, it, it, uh, and I know I'm straight off the potato point here, John, but it, it, we have a strong argument for saying that we are um, exporting the um, the beef and the dairy that's produced with the lowest uh, environmental impact. Um, and uh, so, like, on the horticulture side, we have the Horticulture Crisis Fund, uh, which is just open for applications. We're there to support a sector that we want to maintain, we want to protect, and that we understand is going through a really difficult time at present. But beyond that, um, you, you know, we do recognise that where we can produce the food more sustainably than other parts of the world, we should do that. Um, and that's something that we do, as I say, very well with other um, with other examples. But for the likes of the company you refer to, they see a niche in the market. Obviously, these things have to be market-driven as well. But a lot of the complaints that would have been from the horticulture side in the past would have been the pressure from the multiples, from the retailers, um, that maybe there was a lack of recognition of the importance of and, and, and the low-cost selling of some products like carrots and, and other uh, vegetable products. So the uh, offerness of openness and transparency and the ombudsman, if you like, uh, and the regulator position that we've put into place uh, will definitely be a help in, in that regard in protecting primary producers and making sure there's a more um, harmonious relationship and a fairer balance in, in that relationship between the primary producer, the processor and the retailer. The name of that company, which is uh, producing chipping potatoes, is Meadow Fresh. Meadow Fresh is a kind of an umbrella name for yes. the, say, about 30, 40 producers. I'm familiar with Meadow Fresh. Of course, we have to always be mindful we are an exporting nation and we export so much of our beef and other products. Turning to something very important, we have a new threat emerging and there's been a call for a special task force to be set up, the Spruce Bark Beetle. Now, there's only one part of Scotland which is still free of this uh, Spruce Bark Beetle and we're importing quite a lot of timber from that part of Scotland, timber which, again, people say could and should be grown in Ireland. But have you, are you familiar at all with the threat of the spruce bark beetle? Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, invasive species in general are a big concern for us. Um, we, we have, we see the damage uh, that the likes of Ash Dyback has done when it's come into our country. 
in other areas, you've, you've measures like the Japanese knotweed um, and the invasive nature of those. So as an island nation, we have a distinct advantage over other European nations in trying to protect ourselves and being aware of the risks. But as you say, when we have uh, the prevalence of the situation like, like the bark beetle uh, and the havoc it is causing and the fact that it is in Scotland, that is a cause of concern. And that is something that my officials have taken very seriously, as well as officials in National Parks and Wildlife Service. Um, but from, a, from an agricultural perspective, um, we are taking great measures. Um, we, we are taking a, a very close eye on what is happening there. This would be the area of responsibility for Minister Hackett. So I wouldn't be over the exact details of what's happening at present. But I have been in meetings where it's been mentioned, and I know it, it's definitely... Um, uh, one that uh, a very close eye can pay attention to at present. Minister Pepper Hackett, she has spoken about this and has um, outlined she is aware of the problem and is trying now to give a boost to the forestry sector. But again, within the forestry sector, there is this call for perhaps a greater appreciation from people who are sounding this alarm bell about the spruce bark beetle. What would you see as the most important issue which you're dealing with at the moment, uh, on your desk at the moment, to deal with amongst the many, many problems I'm sure are there for you? Yeah, well, look, we're just after coming out of the budgetary process, John, um, and it's uh, a budget where we were able to secure and maintain, uh, you know, over 100 million euros worth of support for livestock sector, maintaining the 200 euro per circular cow and increasing support for sheep farmers uh, to 20 euro a yo. And, and that has been really important, as well as having 700 million euro in funding for farmers for agri-environmental initiatives. Um, ensuring that um, you know we can accommodate up to fi- the full 50,000 participants um, in acres under the under the CSP as we originally committed to. We had other measures in there as well, like the higher rate of TAMS grant at 70% for new tanks for important slurry for those who might see it as a solution to some of the nitrates challenges at the minute and new separate TAMS uh, investment ceiling for slurry storage. Um, on the agri-taxation side, we saw um, the pushing out of the liability date for residential zoned land tax, something that was potentially going to cause uh, a lot of farmers with zoned land uh, a lot of problems, um, land that may not have been serviceable but was coming in under this. We needed more time to be able to work through and make sure that that tax is only targeted at those who, for whom it's meant on service land, people who aren't actively farming that land or who, who if people want to opt out of the zoning uh, to continue to farm the land, that they would have the ability to do so. So that was an important measure there. And the final thing I might just say, uh, John, if you have the time, is just to plug with your listeners, the very important agri-climate conference um, that it, we are organising in the Department of Agriculture in the Aviva Stadium on the 15th of November. And that's uh, a conference entitled Agriculture and Climate Change, Science into Action. Um, and it'll have a strong scientific focus, bringing together stakeholders, farmers, uh, up to date on recent Irish and international research to reduce greenhouse gas emissions, as well as climate policy relating to agriculture and land use. So this is an area that we spend uh, over €20 million Euro a year in the Department of Agriculture every year on research and innovation, coming up with solutions to the problems that face our farmers. And it, from the perspective of the challenges that have been there, at present, um, you know, like the need to reduce, reduce methane from our livestock system, uh, we have some really exciting results coming up from uh, projects like the Metabay project that we have funded through my, uh, my research fund, which I have responsibility for in the department. Uh, and we'll be able to unveil more details of that research project to farmers um, who wish to participate in that conference on the 15th of November. Um, and they can look up the agriculture website 
uh, for more details on that if they wish to register and to attend because uh, we have, as I say, some uh, really exciting results coming. People are aware of the products that are coming as feed additives to reduce methane from cattle and house system. We're continuing to research with partners like New Zealand uh, to apply that science to our pasture-based system, which is very particular for the two of us. Um, but also we have a product that's going to see an 80% reduction in greenhouse gas emissions from long-term storage of liquid manures and slurries, uh, basically using a new oxidising slurry additive that you add to the slurry in the tank before it's agitated, and it can hugely, hugely reduce the methane output from that. That's very exciting research that's just about to be published, and um, there'll be more details on that on, at the conference on the 15th of November. So uh, a lot of good work happening in that space, coming up with solutions for the problems the farmers face so that we can make sure that our farming and food production system remain sustainable into the future. And when I talk about sustainability, I always mean sustainability as that three-legged stool. It has to be economically sustainable for the farmer. Uh, and sustainable for the society in which the farmer lives, as well as being environmentally sustainable as well. Minister, thank you very much for that amazing information. The venue, date and time for this very important conference. Yes, so the Department of Agriculture, Food and Marine are holding the Agriculture and Climate Change Science into Action Conference. It will be held on the 15th of November, which is the Wednesday, in the Aviva Stadium in Dublin. And uh, farmers who would be interested in participating can register or find more details about the conference on www.agclimateconf.com. Minister Martin Hayden, thank you very much indeed. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you, Minister. Siobhan Walsh, Tillage Editor, Irish Farmers Journal, writing in this week's journal, points out that the winter cereal area is not expected to rebound next year, 24. Siobhan writes, the thoughts of the industry just a few weeks ago were that the area would recover following a dip in the 2021-2022 season due to poor weather. The winter barley area fell by approximately 20,000 hectares last season to 53,000 hectares. However, wet weather again this planting season means it's unlikely an increase will come, with many expecting levels to remain similar to 2022-2023. Tillage farmers did make good progress with planting in the last few days, even though rain continues to break working opportunities into small periods of time making it difficult to get a significant area in the ground. More details in the Irish Farmers Journal this week. Siobhan Walsh, Tillage Editor. Pumpkin growers from around the nation have opened up their patches to the public and demand is as strong as ever, according to growers. Sandra Burns runs a pumpkin patch with her husband Joe on their 38-acre vegetable and tillage farm in Killacarty Cork. And according to Rachel Donovan, news reporter, Irish Farmers Journal, the couple say they grow 20,000 pumpkin plants, but they'd be lucky to get 4,000 or 5,000 pumpkins from the 20,000 pumpkin plants. Input costs have all gone up, particularly for fertiliser. However, this year was a good year growing-wise. And to quote the couple, the pumpkins are huge this year because of the rain. The pumpkins love water. Full details with the Miss Rachel Donovan's article in this week's Irish Farmers Journal. Rachel Donovan, news reporter. IFA National Farm Family and Social Affairs Vice Chair Miss Theresa Roach wants to encourage farmers to use cubicle lime to their advantage this year and to adhere to all health and safety guidelines. Miss Roach points out as the rainfall increases, temperatures decrease and grass growth slows. Cows will soon be heading indoors. Keeping cows udders clean is of vital importance to reducing the risk of infection, 
so it's critical to have your cubicles winter-ready and disinfected. The purpose of cubicle lime is to increase the pH on the cubicle bed, inhibiting the growth of bacteria. Cubicle lime soaks up the moisture, also preventing the growth of bacteria. However, Theresa Roach stresses the importance that any type of cubicle lime can be damaging to your health. Therefore, it's essential to follow the health and safety guidelines as follows. For humans, wear a pair of safety goggles and a face mask when spreading it to avoid lime getting into your eyes or you inhaling it. Milking gloves will protect your hands and help avoid the lime coming into contact with your skin. Use a scoop or a handheld container to lime the cubicles. In order to maintain a clean, dry cubicle bed, high levels of hygiene are essential. It's recommended that passageways, cubicles and yards would be scraped at least twice a day and that cubicles would also be cleaned down and limed twice daily. Part of a statement there from the IFA National Farm Family and Social Affairs Vice Chair, Ms Theresa Roach. Payments worth €179 million were issued this week to 85,000 farmers under the ANC Areas of Natural Constraints Scheme, delivering an average payment per farmer of over €2,100. Minister for Agriculture, Food and the Marine, Charlotte Conlogue, said the payments will be visible in farmers' bank accounts over coming days. The Department of Agriculture say they'll continue to process any remaining cases for payment as farmers meet the required stocking rate criteria. IFA National Rural Development Chair Mr Michael Biggins has acknowledged the commitment by the Minister of Agriculture Mr McConnellogue to opening tranche 2 of the Agri-Climate Rural Environment Scheme Acres but said more is needed to get more farmers into the acre scheme. Michael Biggins said with tranche 2 set to open shortly it's vital the Minister would now find the necessary funding to accommodate all eligible applicants. He goes on to say under the existing CAP strategic plan 2023 to 27 inclusive acres has a target for 50,000 applicants, but changes must be made to accommodate more if more farmers are willing and interested in improving the biodiversity, the water quality and environmental status of their holding. He points out, technicalities cannot hinder progress. We either want to achieve our environmental targets or we don't. The ambition of farmers needs to be matched by adequate resources. He points out in tranche one we saw 46,000 farmers apply for 30,000 places on the scheme. The 4,000 places remaining will fall far short of expected demand. We are hearing there could be up to 2,000 farmers interested in the southwest region alone. The level of demand will be multiples of what there is current provision for. He goes on to say many farmers put off applying for acres on tranche one due to changes in leasing arrangements land transfers, etc. New entrants to farming were also locked out of the scheme in 2022 as they had not made a BPS basic payment scheme application in 2021, which rendered them ineligible for tranche one. The extra €40 million in funding to acres announced in the recent budget will simply finance those that got in under tranche one. Michael Biggins points out it won't solve the problem we now have of many farmers actually wanting to get into acres, spending money engaging with overstretched planners and getting plans developed only to find in the end that demand far exceeds allocated places and their application is unsuccessful. He said we need proactive solutions here fast. He points out 
a great deal of low-income families, particularly those in vulnerable sectors, rely on agri-environmental programmes to survive. At a time when there's so much focus on climate change and biodiversity, it's imperative that all farmers who apply for acres under Tranche 2 would be included. Part of a long statement there by the IFA National Rural Development Chair, Mr Michael Biggins. Strong demand from the UK, where cattle are almost one euro per kg dearer, underpins record value for Irish beef exports. Irish beef exports to the end of August were worth 1.714 billion euro, passing the previous record of 1.705 billion for the first eight months of last year. This was achieved despite a 10,048 ton drop in the volume of beef exported this year compared to the same period in 2022. The average value per tonne of beef exported so far in 2023 is €5,481 compared with €5,281 between January and August last year. The record performance of Irish beef export value so far in 2023 is underpinned by increased demand from the UK market, which includes the north of Ireland. As figures in the Irish Farmers Journal this week point out, in figure one, it shows 49% of Irish beef exports went to the UK in the first eight months of 2023, compared to 45% last year, and is the highest percentage since the same period back in 2019. Despite the overall drop in export volumes, over 10,000 tonnes, exports to the United Kingdom from Ireland increased by 7,833 tonnes. Full details in the double-spread Irish Farmers Journal article by Market Insight Specialist Mr Fellam O'Neill. The chair of the Climate Change Advisory Council, Ms Mary Donnelly, has given a scathing review of the government's progress on forestry and renewable energy. Speaking at the National Bioenergy Conference in Dublin, she stressed that policy, planning, development, budgeting and implementation was not happening quickly enough. Ms Donnelly said that while it's good to have targets in place, the country lacks many of the key policies needed to actually implement and deliver on these targets, especially when it comes to land use. Ms Donnelly told attendees that we have a failed forestry policy in this country, and this wasn't her or the council's first time to say this. And that's the Dairy Gold Farm Talk programme for now. I'm John O'Connor. Thanks for listening. The Farm Talk programme, 7am to 8am every Saturday morning and 10pm to 11pm on Wednesday evenings. Thanks to all who contributed to the programme, especially the person who is responsible for creating our podcasts on a regular basis, Miss Berate Tuig. Farm Talk on C103 with Dairy Gold. Choose Gold Performance Pack. Includes biotin, yeast and protected minerals to reduce lameness, boost milk solids and fertility.